Hi, I'm George Norrie, and welcome to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone. This is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Now please sit back and enjoy Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Ask any hospice worker and they'll tell you stories about the days or hours just before someone passes away. And they witness the person talking or smiling or reaching out their hand to the invisible space around them. Deathbed visitations is also called end-of-life visions, and that's our topic today. Just before we go into that, though, there's been a lot of questions I've been receiving about suicide. Questions like, do our loved ones get punished for taking their own lives? Do they still go to heaven, or are they sent to hell or purgatory? Are they okay? Every Sunday, my friends and I do a free online spiritual service. We call it the Sunday Gathering. While there is prayer and music and a reading and an address, we also do something very unique. We have a medium or two who will do a medium demonstration for the members of our online community. The medium will give details about a person, and we ask all the audience members to listen in keenly and press their raise hand button on Zoom if they recognize the information about a deceased loved one or friend. Once we determine the correct recipient, the medium can speak to the member of our community and give them a reading about details of their loved one's lives, how that person in the afterlife can still see them in their daily activities and give them a message. Each Sunday, we may have over 200 people in our audience, and four or five people will get readings during the service, but everyone feels the love and has faith and comfort that their loved ones have also survived physical death, and so will we. Just a couple Sundays ago, I was struck by how much suicide there is out there. When one medium began giving evidence about a young man, a son who had taken his own life, over a dozen hands immediately went up. The medium went on to give more information, and we found the mom that this son belonged to. With very personal evidence shared, the mom realized this truly was her son. While there was an apology, he also shared what a dark place it was living in his own mind while he was on earth. He also shared that he's happy now with loved ones and the family dog, and confirmed being with his mom at certain special family occasions. You could hear the joy and the relief in the mom's voice, and certainly her life was changed. I can imagine that you have felt deep grief. You may have felt times of depression in your life too, or felt so much pressure or stress that you never thought you'd get through it. The thought may have occurred to you to end your life, but inner strength prevailed and you didn't. When my dad died, I sunk into a very deep place. Not only did he die, but my siblings became very mean. Not only did I lose communication with them, but I couldn't see their children either. Thankfully, since I learned about the changes that happen in the brain, 
all is now forgiven, but then life was awful. I couldn't imagine a darker place and for the first time got a little taste of the darkness that people must feel that do end up taking their own lives. Many religions talk about the punishment from suicide and many people who have lost loved ones that way go through a living hell. Not only having fear about their loved one's soul, but often feeling a guilt that they could have done something different or should have said something to prevent it. If you are considering taking your own life, and that's why you're listening to this show, listening for evidence of the afterlife, I ask that you don't do it. Life might feel like your enemy, but it is not. Rather, it is the thoughts in our minds that create the agony. These thoughts often come from undistinguished grief. Grief doesn't always come from when a loved one dies. It can happen when we feel any kind of loss at all. Like if we lose our job, our way of life, our finances, a relationship, or we get an illness and believe our life won't be as we previously imagined it to be. Shades of the Afterlife has begun in a time when the coronavirus, COVID-19, is in the world. Many don't know, but suicide rates are at their highest especially among young people whose minds cannot deal with the situation they are experiencing. While ending their life may seem like the answer, reports from loved ones who have transitioned to the other side and those who have had near-death experiences report being able to accurately see and feel the hurt and the sadness of those left behind. While they are still greeted by loved ones and enter the beautiful place awaiting us all, they realize they haven't died. No one judges us except ourselves. So there's no hell and no purgatory to worry about in the afterlife. The worst experiences we go through are right here on earth. When a loved one passes, it may be a thought that you'd like to go with them, but your life is for a purpose. While the afterlife may be beautiful, there are things on earth we get to experience that are different than when we arrive there, as we have a human body with so many incredible senses. Plus, your loved ones walk by your side right now. And throughout these many episodes, I'll give you many ways to connect with them. They'll be right there to help you across the threshold into the afterlife when your time comes, but not too soon. We'll all find out that when our time comes to depart this life, no matter how we cross that bridge, loved ones will be there to guide us and love us, and our lives will continue on. We can fulfill our dreams over there, continue to grow and be of service to others, even to those still on earth. You may be surprised at the automatic effect grief has on your thoughts. And if right now you are in a dark place, I offer an explanation of what is happening in the brain anytime you experience it. If you'd like to know more, I invite you to read chapter 10 of my book, We Don't Die. And of course, you can get the PDF copy of the book for free at sandrachamplain.com. You can also get the audiobook, which is in the store section. Just type in the coupon code FREE. You can also search on YouTube, How to Survive Grief, and you'll see an audio by me. A few words of advice for all. Get some sunshine if you can, and some exercise. Talk to friends, write down your feelings, listen to your favorite happy music, or great television shows or movies you like. 
Don't be alone if you can help it. Call a friend. Connect with friends online. You can do face-to-face chatting. And the biggest one, be a friend to someone else. Be of service. Volunteer, listen, reply to messages on social media with positive words. Most of all, have compassion for yourself. The neurotransmitters in your brain and body are readjusting. Just like a vehicle cannot run without oil, fuel, and other fluids, when we are grieving or deeply depressed, we are running low. By doing some of the activities I just told you about, that will help. If you're going through a real tough time to get some immediate help in your area, do a search on Google for list of suicide crisis lines and pick up the phone and call. There is another side to grief. The dark cloud will seem to have lifted. Life will appear different and a new you may arise. One that has compassion for others and grief has the power to set you on your spiritual journey. And that might have led you to listening today. Good things will happen for you. And one day you'll look back realizing the most soul growth took place in your toughest times. I don't know if you know this, but there are a certain type of pine cones that only release their seeds to start a new life when it's subjected to intense heat or flames. Same may be true for us. Something to think about. Now, let's talk deathbed visitations, shall we? It's also called deathbed phenomena, and it's a term for the non-ordinary experiences that can happen as the veil between life and death thins. It's not unusual for dying people, and occasionally those around them, to see, hear, or sense the presence of other beings. These beings may be ancestors or spiritual figures, friends, groups of friends, even pets. They're often described as coming to take the person home. These interactions can bring real comfort to the dying person and to their family and friends. As the dying person disconnects from this world, their awareness turns to where they're going next and to those who have made the journey before them. It may be that these deathbed visions are visitations to comfort the dying and escort the dying person across. You may have heard me say this before. Steve Jobs' last words were, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Who or what was he seeing? The living can never fully comprehend what's happening for a dying person. But if someone you love is approaching their death, take some time to learn about deathbed visitations. They can bring peace and healing in a difficult time and allowing so much comfort and a gift to all, really, especially to the dying person. There's a great drawing that I found on the internet from artist Charles Santoso called Goodbye and Welcome. It's the image of a woman and her two sons crying at the bedside of the boy's grandmother. It's evident that she has just passed, but next to the bed is Granny standing up with a look of delight on her face as her husband greets her with a bouquet of flowers into the other side. There are other friends greeting her as well, even the dog and cat. While pain and suffering can be horrendous to experience on earth, there is no memory of pain and just sheer joy and a feeling of freedom and perfect health when we make our transition. 
Often during a reading with a medium, loved ones will tell how they passed just so you can confirm it's really them. But they always explain that there is no pain in death and they are now fine and healthy and well. Charlene Low Kemp recently did some research and wrote an article, What Do We Know About Deathbed Visitations? She says, deathbed visitations are not just things made up in films and stories. They are pretty common, and the witness reports from all across the world, from different nationalities, religions, and cultures, all show some very similar traits. Over the years, various studies have been conducted on deathbed visitations, and it is thought that only about 10% of dying people are conscious shortly before their deaths. But of this 10%, it is estimated that at least 60% of them have these visions. The visions only seem to last about five minutes and are seen mostly by people who approach death gradually, such as those suffering from life-threatening injuries or terminal illnesses. We'll be back in just a minute to find out more. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings that frustrating thing your mom does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com shades today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot shades. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
My name is Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com. Over five years ago, George Norrie approached me with a unique concept, a dating site for people searching for someone with interests in UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and the paranormal. From that, ParanormalDate.com was born. It's a unique site for unique people, and it's free to join to look around. If you want to upgrade and enjoy more of our great features, use promo code George for a great discount. So check it out. You got nothing to lose. ParanormalDate.com. This is George Norrie, and you're listening to the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, heard on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. The best afterlife information you can get while you're alive. Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. This morning, I happened to see a video that was mentioned on Wendy and Victor Zamet's Friday Afterlife Report. I watched it on YouTube, and it was a local news television station in the United States who researched deathbed visitations. They interviewed people who work in hospice, where many of these special visits are witnessed. Before passing, people can look over your shoulder or into the corner of the room or at an empty chair, smiling, having what seems to be a one-sided conversation. You can't see the person or people that they can see. Sometimes young children can see them. One doctor told the story of a person staring deeply into the corner of the room. A two-year-old boy was also in the room and innocently looked in the corner and said, Who's that sitting over there? As he saw a person too. A hospice worker was in a room with a lady who happily shouted out, When did you get here? The worker says, I've been here all day. The woman replied, Not you, George. She kept looking past the hospice worker with a big smile on her face, talking to her husband, George. Oh, you look so good. The woman passed away the following day. Experience shows that a parent or spouse are the most likely to show up during a visitation. Another hospice worker tells the story of a man named Ron, whose beloved wife, Becky, showed up to help him cross. Ron pulled himself up on the side rail of the hospital bed, reached over and made a hugging motion, then laid back down, and within minutes he died. Skeptics may say that these are just hallucinations before dying, or that medicine or narcotics cause them. However, deathbed visitations are different than hallucinations. They are clear, people are lucid, and they often have a spurt of energy during them. Unfortunately, as a loved one, we can feel they are getting better when in reality they are approaching their time to depart. A woman named Margaret was in hospice, and she was doing very poorly. During that time, her son died, and because of Margaret's condition, the family decided not to tell her. She was bedridden for weeks, but Margaret suddenly felt well enough to get up and get dressed. Her sister Dorothy walked into her room, told Margaret how beautiful she looked, and asked her why she was out of bed. 
Margaret's response. Charles came to see me and told me he'd be back to take me with him. The very next day she passed, certainly with her son Charles by her side. Steve Kearney is a friend of mine who spends much time as a hospice chaplain and has witnessed many people experience these special visitations before they pass. His own father had one such experience. He had been in a coma for quite some time and one day opened his eyes, sprung to life, sat up in the bed and swung his legs off of the bed as if he were going to stand up. Of course, he was hooked up to tubes and wires and everybody was concerned. Steve began talking to his dad about what he was doing. The father smiled and gazed past them and began speaking about how beautiful it is over there. He described his friends and family that were there and even a friend who had passed weeks before while he was in the coma. No one had told him that his friend had passed. The father was told by these beings that he saw that his time on earth was short and he had to make the most of it before he went home. The father asked to be dressed in a nice suit, have his children together, watch a football game with his favorite team, drink a chocolate milkshake, and eat some cherry pie. Shortly thereafter, the father fell asleep on Christmas Eve and didn't wake up. Didn't wake up in this world, that is. I recently read an article by Stephen Wagner who states that deathbed visitations are much more common than you might think and are surprisingly similar across nationalities, religions, and cultures. Instances of these unexplained visions have been recorded throughout history and stand as one of the most compelling proofs of life after death. One of the first to examine the subject seriously was Sir William Barrett, a professor of physics at the Royal College of Science in Dublin. In 1926, he published a summation of his findings in a book titled Deathbed Visions. In the many cases he studied, he discovered some interesting aspects of the experience that are not easily explained. It was not uncommon for the dying people who saw these visions to identify friends and relatives who they thought were still living. But in each case, according to Barrett, it was later discovered that these people were dead. Now remember, communications in those days weren't what they are today, and it might have taken weeks or even months to learn that a friend or a loved one had died. Barrett found it curious that children quite often expressed surprise at the angels that they saw in their dying moments, and the angels did not have wings. If the deathbed vision is just a hallucination, wouldn't a child see an angel as it is most often depicted in art and literature with large, white, fluffy wings? More extensive research into these mysterious visions was carried out in the 1960s and 1970s by Dr. Carlos Osis of the American Society for Psychical Research. In this research and for a book he published in 1977 titled At the Hour of Death, Osis considered thousands of case studies and interviewed more than a thousand doctors, nurses, and others who attended the dying. The work found some fascinating consistencies. Although some dying people report seeing angels and other religious figures, the vast majority claim to see familiar people who had previously passed away. 
Very often, the friends and relatives seen in these visions express directly that they have come to help take them away. The dying person is reassured by these experiences and expresses great happiness with the visions. Contrast this with the confusion or fear that a non-dying person would experience at seeing a ghost. The dying also seem quite willing to go with these apparitions. The dying person's mood, even state of health, seems to change. During these visions, a once depressed or pain-riddled person is overcome with elation and momentarily relieved of pain until death strikes. The people having these experiences do not seem to be hallucinating or be in an altered state of consciousness. Rather, they appear to be quite aware of the real surroundings and conditions. Whether or not the dying person believes in an afterlife is totally irrelevant. The experience and reactions are the same. A documented case by the Journal of the Society for Psychic Research details an apparition that was seen by a dying woman, Harriet Pearson. Her three relatives who were in the room also saw this apparition. If you're interested more about this, you can look up William Peters and the Shared Crossing Project and Dr. Raymond Moody's book, Glimpses of Eternity. There are many cases that the loved ones also see the same person in one of these deathbed visitations. A couple of books that you might enjoy. It's a book by Carla Wills Brandon called One Last Hug Before I Go, The Mystery and Meaning of Deathbed Visions, and Signposts of the Dying by Martha Jo Atkins, Ph.D. Can they be explained? As a skeptic, I always thought that this was just part of the dying brain, and perhaps it's the medication that the person is on. But some studies have shown that visitations can occur even when a person is not on any medication at all. Now, there's something else very interesting. Many say that our souls can depart our bodies before death. For us, it can seem terrible watching our loved ones suffer just before passing. But in reality, their souls have already arrived home. Sources in the afterlife and those who have had near-death experiences can confirm this. My poor dad suffered terribly the final days of his life, and I have heard from numerous sources that he left his body before he died, and he has no memory of the pain. I sure hope so. Even folks that have dementia or Alzheimer's can check out early or they spend time in the afterlife between moments of being lucid here on Earth. I want to introduce you to my friend Maurice Israel. Having dinner at one of my We Don't Die conferences in Florida, I sat next to Maurice and quickly fell in love with his infectious personality. I found out that we both share the same birthday of April 8th. I also found out that he is a hospice nurse and a psychic medium and had to ask him how he got on both paths. This episode is the perfect place to share it with you, and you'll hear why. You know, it's interesting. When I first uh, moved to Florida, it was one of those things where I was doing a little bit of soul searching to see what I wanted to do as far as career-wise and what life was going to bring me. And nursing was not a path I originally had considered, but the more that I thought about it, the more I felt that it was something that I really wanted to step towards and step into. 
uh, because I just, I love people, wanted to give back in, a, in an ideal way or in a way that was, I felt was a little bit unique. So I stepped onto that path and just went forward and didn't stop. Now, the thing that was interesting, right about the same time that I started that, I was having all kinds of what I would call strange situations happening in my own life, showing me that um, there was another life, that there, was, there were other souls around us. I was having experiences with the spirit world which I couldn't identify at the time, because if I'm honest with you, I have to say it was a little bit terrifying for me. Because mm-hmm. uh, the, way, the way that I was raised, you didn't deal with you know, the spirit world and that kind of thing. Right. So as that door began to open, I, I'll be honest, I ran from it in the beginning. <laughs> but then um, the right people seemed to come in to kind of guide me along the path. How did it start, though? Did you start like knowing things about people? or? Yeah, it was all psychic at the beginning. Okay. Um, it's just like meeting certain people, and then some of those people were psychic. And then realizing that I had a bit of an ability. But the biggest thing for me, I think, was I had a lot of prophetic dreams in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, dreams that I would be, I would have the dream like a few days before and then go stand somewhere and actually watch the dream unfold. Wow. And that was actually something that happened through my whole life, but it got stronger and stronger as things began to really get to a head. And then from there, it, I started investigating, started reading books. Because, um, like I said, it made me very nervous in the beginning. I wasn't sure what this was. Mm-hmm. And then I went and studied the uh, Akashic Records mm-hmm. and learned about them and learned how to work with them. And from there, met another group of people who were more into mediumship. And one of the women that I met actually looked at me and said, well, you need to come and learn about what you're working with. And she was going over to England to the Arthur Finley College to study. Right. And she came back and told me all about the Arthur Finley College. And fortunately enough, about six months later, I was able to make that first trip happen. And that's how it all began for me with the mediumship. We'll be back to hear more from Maurice in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like... Meh. Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
Hey folks, it's easier than ever to become a Coast to Coast AM insider and have access to past shows, the Art Bell Vault with classic audio and interviews, and so much more. And you can listen to the show live or on demand with your computer or cell phone, and the audio streams are high quality and crystal clear. It's easy to become an insider. Just head on over to coasttocoastam.com, the website, and you'll find all the info right there. That's coasttocoastam.com, coasttocoastam.com. Every eight minutes, the American Red Cross brings help and hope to people in need. Thanks to the support of everyday heroes like you, the Red Cross is able to respond to disasters big and small, support military families, help ensure that blood is available when needed, and teach life-saving skills like CPR and first aid. Be a hero. Donate today. Visit redcross.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Hey, it's producer Tom of Coast to Coast AM, and you're listening to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain on the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't forget, you can listen to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are talking to Maurice Israel, hospice nurse and medium. Maurice, when you got involved with nursing, how did you choose working with hospice? It's interesting. I have to say to you, I definitely believe it was my influence from this spiritual work that took me in that direction. Because when I first got, when I first became a nurse, the last thing I ever wanted to do was to work in hospice. Right. It wasn't, it was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't had much, many of my own experiences with death in my own life. It wasn't an area that I really wanted to go into because my, in my physical world, I had just seen it as it's a place of sadness and doom and gloom and people are dying all day long. And why would I ever want to put my time into that? Because I don't want to be sad all the time. I mean, those were my viewpoints and I remember so clearly, but after I was in nursing, gosh, I would say I'd been in nursing probably eight, nine years. And, and started to realize, okay, I'm doing this type of work, but I, I know there's something still missing for me. And as I started to look around to really see where I wanted to work, I realized that I was kind of getting a pull there over and over and over again. It was like this, I kept coming back to hospice, kept coming back to hospices. And finally I said, you know what, I need to give this a try and just step into that arena and see if it really works for me. Um, that was about, gosh, that was, I guess, almost 14 years ago now. <laughs> So I think I've found where I'm supposed to be now. Can you just explain a little bit about what hospice is? I think many of us know or can associate hospice with a place to go when you're dying, but not necessarily more than that. Right. I mean, hospice, I mean, the the real focus of hospice, it's yes, it's people for people that are considered to be at the end of life. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, have the view of hospice that it's a place where you go and they medicate you and they end your life and take you away. But the real view of hospice, or that, well, how I see hospice and over my years of experience, it's a place where people go who are considered to be end of life, but it's a place where doctors do medicate patients to help to control symptoms, but it's also a place 
to help to maintain the quality of life for as long as possible so they can enjoy their final days, not just for themselves, but to connect to family, to get things done they need to get done while they're here on the earth, but also to help them sometimes find that time that, or that place of spiritual peace or getting to a place within themselves where death is actually okay. Um, but the other side of hospice as well is there are people there to actually help the families and the family members try to move into a place to understand or begin to cope with their grief so they also can move into a place where, okay, I'm not okay with this death, but I'm going to get to a place within myself where I may be able to accept this a little bit better and it may make things a little bit easier. I mean, hospice challenges a lot of people. I've seen a lot of things over the years. But the biggest thing for me is when we're able to help the families and the patients to kind of move forward and you can kind of see the shift sometimes from beginning to their time of transition, it, it makes a difference. Well, I really applaud you and the people you work with and all hospice workers as well. I would absolutely love my final days having you around and um, <laughs> having a cosmopolitan or something together. <laughs> I don't know if we can do something like that. And that's the way that's the way it's supposed to be at the end too. Whatever the person wants, whatever they desire, we try to make those things happen. Oh, I love it. Do you have any stories from working in hospice? I've heard from many uh, sure, I have a people, couple. you know, that yeah. very, uh, sometimes are last um, breaths, you know, people come or how, whatever stories you have. I think they give us a lot of faith that we don't die. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple. There are a few that come to mind as you're mm -hmm. asking me that. Um, I remember working with a family in my very early days in hospice um, when I just was really working with these abilities and really learning to use them. I, uh, there was a family where the mom was actually the patient and, and she was at a place where she was about to actually transition. Um, and I just remember sitting there and looking at the family all around the bed and just watching uh, the mom and looking at the mom. She looked very peaceful in the bed. But I also recall that about an hour before the mom's body, um, the physical body, stopped breathing, I remember looking in the corner to see the mom standing in the corner and I'm sure that the gentleman's hand that she was holding was actually the father of those same children. Um, because through talking to them afterwards, I asked, Oh, you know, is your father? Cause he wasn't there at the bedside. So you investigate a little bit, but I can't really say what it is that I'm seeing because of the difference in belief systems. Right. You just, I just can't come out and say, well, I saw your mom and she was out an hour before. So you guys are okay. And you know, she's really okay. You can't say those things, but that was at least an hour ahead of time. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking in the corner and saying, oh, that's a, like one of the most amazing things. Because when you first start this work and the mediumship as well, you don't know what you're going to actually experience. So that was one of the beautiful things. So that brought me a little bit of comfort also. Because I know in hospice, I've seen a few people that have also had challenging deaths. Um, I had a woman um, who was having a very difficult time, so we thought, leaving her body, which I know she was challenged a little bit spiritually because we had called people in to assist her. And she was also another one who was struggling towards the end. Um, and her son was in the room with her. And I just remember looking at him and talking to him and she was having trouble breathing and she was really beginning, you know, those, those symptoms at end of life could be very challenging for people, the gurgling and right. all those things that we see on the physical levels, what causes the most angst. Yes. So I'm watching this woman and I'm listening to the gurgling and seeing everything. But it's interesting because before she got to that place, right before she had mentioned 
the name of someone um, who she had, it was her brother, which is the young man's uncle. And she said the name right before she gone. He said, I said to him, oh, I said, who is the person she had mentioned? And she, he gave me a name. And well, I looked over once again, I looked over to the side of the bed as her body's going through this. And she's standing next to a gentleman, her spirit self in the corner. And I even said to him, I thought, well, you know, around what age would he have died? What would he have looked like? You know, asking little questions, which people don't catch on to at that time because they're caught up in the other moment. But it was definitely who she had seen and spoken the name of prior to letting go. But once again, her physical body was going through what it had to go through to transition, but that soul was already up and out. Oh, that's, um, I mean, I've so, there's yeah. so many stories like that. Most of the people that I've worked with, especially right at the end, and even some like friends I've worked with, um, like their family, because they know what I do. Um, a couple of them have called me to come in with the grandmoms, granddad, things like that. And they'll start to say to me, oh, they're talking about this person, that person. You, and you actually see, I, because of my ability, I can see sometimes see them or sense them right there. And a couple of times I've even been able to give like a name or two before they did. So the person, it's validation for the people in the room. That's pretty wild right there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it does make a difference. For me, I'm just glad that I'm able to do that. It's not something that, you know, as as you're growing up, you say, oh, I wish I could do this later. But now that it's something that I am able to do, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm able to bring that to people. Absolutely. And you've really built a, I don't want to say a toolbox, but all your experiences from Arthur Finley College, studying mediumship, studying nursing, being with people, Akashic Records, healing. It's all built a foundation for you that you can be totally present to whatever situation you need to be in and the right information comes forward. Maurice, I, I want to just touch a little bit upon um, something you mentioned is that the soul can check out of the body before the body dies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know for myself, my dad went through a very awful death or my dad's body, lots of pain, turning up the medication. You know, you could tell and hear how much he was in pain. And all I could pray for is that he'd already left. But it was very, very, very hard to be with. But I, but I'd never heard that before, that sometimes our soul can check out because I, I would just hate to feel that my dad was feeling all that pain. Yeah, I, I mean, I have another experience where I have a young man, uh, a child, actually, I want to say he was around 11 years old, that um, one of the other women that I worked with when I really got into this work was there with me. And he was, unfortunately, he was a burn victim at that age. And what was going on with him is that he was slipping in and out of a coma during the time um, prior to his death. Um, and I, he was burnt like over 90% of his body. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible situation. Yes. And at that time, when you first learned about mediumship, I didn't know any better. So she didn't tell me any details about him um, prior to asking me about him. And Maurice, you, can you pick up and tell me a little bit about what's going on with him, about his death? So one thing that I, I learned during that time, even I was able to connect with him on a spiritual level and give her some information and not knowing the whole entire situation around it. He came in, he showed us some of the, um, like the toys he had played with as a child, some of the experiences they shared together. And that was, that was weeks before he actually died. 
So for me, I believe that during that time when he was, would have been struggling and suffering in that bed filled up on all those medications, that I do believe that his, I feel, my belief system is that his spirit was actually up and on that body. Um, and actually free of the actual experience that was going on there. Now, do I believe that he stayed out of the body? No, because I believe there were times where he went back where, because she told me towards the end that there were times where he had come around a little bit, where they had lessened some of the medication so he could open his eyes and mm -hmm. to reconnect with them prior to his death. But because I was able to connect with him a few different times the way that I was and actually get a true sense of him, it just... It, for me, it was comforting to, to know that he was, I felt he was free during those periods of time. And then there are different people say different things, but I can only go from my own experiences. Of course. Yeah. And I hear too, with the Alzheimer's dementia patients as well, that they can come back in and out of their bodies too, you know, their soul can yeah. as well. And, and even, I hear stories from other people um, that there's some mo moments of clarity just before, or there can be just before one's body transitions that people have sat up in their bed, open their eyes, you know, even if they're drugged up or even if they've been checked out, you know, with Alzheimer's or something like that, that there are these moments of clarity just before they go. And, you know, where does that come from? That, that happens quite often in hospice where someone will be in a place where you look at them for a few days or longer where they just look like they're on that edge and they're about to go. And then they really do have that period where all of a sudden they sit up, they look around, they talk to family members again, and the families are unfortunately under the impression, oh my gosh, they're getting better. They're doing so much better. But that's not necessarily the case for most of them. It's just that they they move. I don't know what it is, the energetic thing, I feel where they move into that space where it's like they're giving you those last few moments of hello, goodbye, and I want to let you all know I'm still here. But then usually within a day or two after, they let go and actually do transition. We'll be back and hear a few more thoughts from Maurice and also talk with Dr. Karen Wyatt, hospice physician and author of Seven Lessons for the Living from the Dying. Do you have any stories of deathbed visitations? I'd love to hear them. Go to iHeartRadio.com, search Shades of the Afterlife, and share your stories in the chat box. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, it's time to head over to coasttocoastam.com and check out the Art Bell Vault, a collection of timeless audio. Listen to some of the great interviews with the likes of the late Father Malachi Martin, Dr. Evelyn Paglini, investigative journalist Jim Mars, and more. This is classic audio that you can enjoy at any time, and it's all heard without interruption. New shows are added each week, so find out how to access the Art Bell Vault now by going to coasttocoastam.com. That's coasttocoastam.com. We are happy to announce that our Coast to Coast AM official YouTube channel has now reached over 300,000 subscribers. You can listen to the first hour of recent and past shows for free. So head on over to the coasttocoastam.com website and hit the YouTube icon at the top of the page. This is free show audio, so don't wait. Coasttocoastam.com is where you want to be. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain on the new iHeartMedia and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And don't forget, you can listen to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are talking to Maurice Israel, hospice nurse and medium. Maurice, there's so much fear about death and dying. I was listening to an audiobook yesterday that suggested we replace the word fear with faith, and it asked us to consider how our actions would change. If we could have the faith about living and dying, that we are surrounded by people that love us, that may be invisible to us now, but before we take our last breath, they become visible to take us home. I think we'd live much different lives. What do you think? I feel that is 100% accurate. Um, through life, you know, through, your own, through my own experiences, but even experiences with people around me, fear is paralyzing. And sometimes you don't even know that it's your fear that's holding you back until you truly investigate and take a look at the situation and to see where you are. When you step out on faith and just know you're going to be protected and know that the spirit world, especially because like you said, you do have an invisible team behind you, but just that most of us don't connect to them. But when you get into that mindset that I know I'm going to be protected, I know I'll be taken care of. I'm stepping out to do good things for myself and others and just stepping out into the world to see what can be brought to me. As you shift that energy, there's a, another, there's a collective energy within the universe that comes in to meet you head on. The same way if you project fear out there, that's, what you, that's actually what you project out into the universe and that's what you bring on as well. So if you can shift it and just step, even take those baby steps, if you're afraid, huge, huge shifts take place. 
not even just for you, but for everyone around you, because as you encounter and have amazing experiences, those around you connected to you also evolve and shift and have some of those experiences with you, especially as you share your stories, because it helps to bring faith to other people. Maurice, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, You are so welcome. It was such a pleasure to spend this time with you. You have no idea. Oh, I feel the same way. I'd now like to introduce you to Dr. Karen Wyatt, who is the best-selling author of the book, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying, which contains stories of patients she cared for as a hospice doctor and the spiritual lessons she learned from them at the end of their lives. Dr. Wyatt also hosts End of Life University podcast, which features conversations with experts who work in all aspects of end-of-life care. She teaches that in order to live life fully, we must each overcome our fear of death and embrace the difficulties that life brings us. And you can find out more about Dr. Karen at KarenWyattMD.com or the End of Life University's website is EOLUniversity.com. Dr. Karen, welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Thank you, Sandra. It's such a pleasure to be here talking with you. Oh, pleasure to have you. Big smile on my face. Tell us a little bit about you and how your journey began. Oh, well, thank you. Well, um, it's a, I could tell you my entire life story because as I see, looking back at it, I see how all the pieces fit together of various times in my life. But I'll start when I was a young doctor trained in family medicine to just do a general practice and take care of patients of all ages. And there was a sudden tragedy in my life when my father died by suicide. And as you can imagine, it was absolutely devastating to me sure. to have him die in that way, to have him really make that choice of, of how and when to end his own life. And But particularly because I felt extremely guilty as a doctor. I'd had training in behavioral medicine, and I had helped a lot of patients who were suicidal and depressed and couldn't help my own father, who was one of the people I loved the most in the world, just absolutely tore me apart. And I really started to question, like, am I doing the right thing? Should I even be a doctor? I must be terrible at it. I couldn't help my dad. And so so I suffered with a lot of guilt and grief and just confusion about why am why am I here and what am I doing and why did all of this happen? And it took me about three years of being really lost in all those negative emotions before I one day I had this inspiration in my head to call hospice. And at that time, I wasn't even sure what hospice did or what it was about. But I called to see if they could use a volunteer who happened to be a doctor. And as it turned out, the director that I spoke to that day said, I don't know why you called us, but 30 minutes ago, our medical director resigned. And we are not able to keep our doors open if we don't have a doctor working with us. And she said, and then you show up. (laughs) And so it's like, in that moment, I started, I became a volunteer for that hospice. And it, it was like such a divine spark in a way. And it turned out to be exactly what I needed to help me through my grief and through that process by just kind of diving into death and dying and 
grief of the families and the patients that I was caring for. I healed my grief. I learned so much about the spiritual journey of life and the end of life and facing death and learning also something I already believed in or or knew was aware of um, the afterlife, but being able to see example over and over again with my patients of these incredible experiences they were having uh, as they approached death, it it just completely changed everything in my life. So I ended up becoming a full-time hospice doctor and um and I just I fell in love with the work and it helped me become the person I was meant to be and so today I'm no longer practicing medicine I retired so that I could start writing books and speaking and doing a podcast because I felt this need to help educate people uh beyond just one one-on-one work with patients individually so so that's how I got here to where I am today oh, amazing amazing I just if I had a hat, I'd be taking it off to you right now for really your commitment to people. Could you share with us some of those stories about experiences people had before passing? Oh, yes. Uh, I saw many patients. Like, like what, I, what I came to observe, how I would describe it or how it appeared to me was that the physical body was beginning to dissolve away in a sense as if it was becoming less and less solid and material in a way. And the soul was becoming predominant for those patients who were very close to death. And when they reached that point, so many of the patients would talk about seeing their loved ones who were in the room who came and were waiting for them. And they were very, very comforted by the visions that they had. Some of them talked with their loved ones and would describe conversations they had had. Others just talked about seeing a beautiful light, seeing and feeling love. And for those patients who had those experiences, their fear seemed to completely disappear. And they, they had this beautiful aura of light about them and seemed to be completely at peace as they were completing this physical journey here on earth. And it was so reassuring to sit with them and listen to them talk and tell their stories. And it it validated what I had understood from a very young age that there's something more here than this physical existence. And so all of that came together for me as well by having this opportunity to sit with them. Um, Dr. Wyatt, there's so many people, and I used to be one of them, that used to think, oh, the seeing the light is just a natural part of their brain shutting down. This is just coming from if I was skeptical listening to this, how would you know it was their loved ones or what what comforts you knowing that the afterlife is real? Or is it just a faith? Well, um, I guess I, I guess it's a I guess I can't say for any individual person that I would know that it was their loved ones. But there were some really interesting occurrences. In in one case, our patient was a, a man with Alzheimer's, who at the very in the very end stages of Alzheimer's had not spoken for a year, he had not been capable of speech for one year. So he had not not spoken to anyone or spoken to his wife at all. 
And we were caring for him in the very last days of his life. When I came to visit one day, his wife was so excited. And she said, something happened last night. I have to tell you about it. And she said, John was asleep in his room and I was in the next room. And in the middle of the night, I heard a voice talking. And she said, I got up and went into John's room thinking, did someone come in in the middle of the night? And she said, it was John. And he was speaking she said, and it was his voice, it was him, he was totally articulate, and totally lucid, and speaking, and he was talking to his brother, who had died several years before, and he said they were having a conversation back and forth, and and so... In that case, it's a case where we had observed medically deterioration and decline in this patient's brain functioning, and yet he was still able to speak when he was in this state as he was very close to death. And so she knew from his conversation, it was his brother he was talking to, calling him by name, describe, they were talking about past experiences they had had, he was laughing and reminiscing, and so... So hearing that story and hearing her say, I know that his brother was here. I know his brother's waiting for him. Uh, that fits, I, that is congruent with what I believe and what I've experienced in my life. And so I guess I can say, I can say it's based not just on a belief, but on some of my own experiences uh, with um having dreams and and visions of people that I love and care about after they died. Over time, I I began to gather their stories because they were so powerful. And I would journal every day and write down some of the stories patients had told me. And one day, um, a patient said to me, you know, I have just learned the most profound lessons of my entire life. And he said, what makes me sad is that I'll only be here a short while longer and I won't be able to share this this knowledge and this wisdom with other people. And he said to me, would you tell my story? Would, oh. would you teach other people what I have learned? And I made a promise to him that day that I would. And so I knew in that moment, someday, I'll, I will write about this someday, I'll write a book or something, I'll write these stories, and I'll, I'll be the voice for my patients who didn't have the opportunity to teach other people what what they were learning. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being our guest today. Oh, you're so welcome, Sandra. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. And I'd like to sincerely thank you, our listeners, for joining us. This is Sandra Champlain, and you've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.